Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Well, I, I was thinking back when we had our first daughter, Olivia. How many of you guys know that that's an adventure to have your first kid? I remember uh, Jackie started to go having contractions and there, were no, there was no, it was like Jesus, there was no room for us in the inn. There was no room for us in Hayward or Walnut Creek. So we had to drive to Antioch. And uh, so we're on our way out there. I'm trying to be careful of every bump uh, because I know that, man, this is it. She's in pain. We're in labor. So we, we get to the hospital. They check us into triage. And they, they let Jackie know that she's about three centimeters. She's dilated three centimeters. So they were like, we're, we're going to just send you home. We're like, no, no, we, we drove a long way to get here. We've, we've traveled many miles. And, and, uh, and so, so basically Jackie looked at the doctor and she's like, I'm not going home. And uh, so the doctor said, okay, well, why don't you walk around for just a little bit and let's see if anything changes. So we walk around the hospital. 45 minutes later, she goes, jumps from a three to a nine. So, like, like, ladies, like, you guys are pretty intuitive, right? Like, you guys know when it's, it's time to go home, when it's not time to go home. And so it, it jumped, jumped extremely rapidly, and, and we studied all of the different phases. We studied, like, okay, you're going to have contractions, and you want to time the contractions, and, and then um, you're going to, obviously, the contractions are going to start happening in shorter durations, and then you're going to hit the transitional phase, where you start to feel a little bit nauseous, so as you guys know, I like white shoes, and she threw up on my white shoes in the hospital. I'm like, babe, this is the only time you're going to get grace for that. And, and it was so funny. So, I mean, literally, she's dilated. Like, just 30 minutes later, my daughter, my daughter was uh, about to be born, and Jackie looks at me in the middle of all of the, I mean, nine, probably like nine and a half centimeters. She just threw up on my shoes, and she says, babe, I'm ready to go home. Let's go home. Like, dead serious. Like, I'm ready to go home. Let, let's go. I'm like, babe, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're about to have a baby. Like, just in just a couple pushes, like, we're, we're there. But she said it was such confidence and, and such peace, such clarity, like she was like walking in the park somewhere like, I'm ready to go home. Just ready. Let's, time. Let's go home. And, uh, and so uh, about 30 minutes later, my daughter, Olivia, came out just blown away. It's one of the greatest miracles I've ever experienced in my life watching the birth of my kids. And, and so we're about four hours into this thing. I'm exhausted, a little bit of anxiety, brand new dad. And Jackie looks at me and she says, I think I want another one. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, I just watched you go through like the worst pain ever. And it's hard because you can't do anything about it. Like, you know that they, they got to go through it. And so you're just kind of grinning, bearing it. You're trying not to say too much, trying not to say too little. You're just trying to just squeeze my hand, do whatever you need to do. And four hours later, we're still in the hospital, like barely just held my daughter. And she's like, I I'm like, okay, well, let, let's do one baby at a time. Let's kind of, let's, you know, kind of, this is a journey, boo. But, but I started to think, what if, we, what if we approach trials in a similar fashion where we just knew that God was birthing something? Like we knew that God is depositing something. God is refining something. God is maturing something. Now, now it sounds really good. 
unless you're in a trial. Like that sounds very poetic and you're like, yeah, preacher, yeah, that sounds beautiful. But if you're in the thick of it right now, it doesn't feel realistic. Like a lot of times joy and, and, and trial don't seem to fit in the same narrative. It, it, it just feels a little bit unrealistic, right? Like, like, come on, Pastor Matt, like I know that preaches really well. But, but trials, I think in a lot of ways, feel a little bit more like this. Where you don't really feel a, a whole lot of joy. Matter of fact, there's, there tends to be a lack of joy. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. I, I'm, I'm just trying to get through. I, I feel like I'm climbing up with, with everything coming down. Anybody ever try to climb on a wet rock? And, and so you just kind of feel this, 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 this tension. Maybe right now there's an ongoing trial. Those are the worst, right? They just last forever. It's like a lag trial. Like maybe, maybe there's, you know, um, a boss that you have to go and see every single day and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is just the worst. So maybe you're in a relationship and there's just been an ongoing fight and battle. And, and, and I, I would propose to you today that, that I know that trials feel like that and I know that we're not exempt. Sometimes, man, they get the best of us. But, but what if that wasn't the normal rhythm of our life? What if the normal rhythm was that we could actually find joy in the midst of the trial? What if it didn't always feel like climbing, but it felt a little bit more like a calling? Like, 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 like trials didn't always just feel like we're trying to just grin and bear, but, but we feel God calling us to new heights. We, we feel God calling us to maturity, maybe to a deeper intimacy with him. God calling us to experience victory in areas that we, we may not have experienced if not for the trial. Now, I'm not saying that um, God causes every trial, but I'm say, saying that God can use every single trial to produce something greater on the inside of us. And, and to do something great in, in not just our lives, but in other people's lives as they watch us endure. You know, James is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. James is, is I think, kind of a humble dude. Now, we, we see right away that James doesn't really define the gospel, um, but rather he explains how the gospel is played out and fleshed out in everyday life. Now, James doesn't give himself an intro, and some believe that it was because he was just a well-known pillar in the church. Uh, others believe that it was just the humility because he was the half-brother of Jesus. And I say half-brother because obviously um, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, right? His heavenly father conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And, uh, and so James was a son of, of Mary and Joseph. And so Jesus was his half-brother. And we see other James, uh, different Jameses throughout the scripture. We see our very own Pastor James. Uh, we see James, son of Alphaeus. We see James, the brother of John. But, but the one who wrote the book of James is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's going to help us to understand, man, right, right away, what does it look like to, to wrestle through a trial? And how does the gospel play out in every aspect of our life? So we jump right into the thick of it. And James says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Lord here that he uses, the word karyos, which, which is essentially James is saying, my brother is God. And that's huge. I think that's one of the greatest apologetics or defenses for the faith. Because how do you convince your brother that you're God? Like that, that's, a, that's a pretty tough persuasion. Are you with me on that? 
But, but I, want you to think, I want you to think about this for a minute. Anybody ever been around somebody that just seems to be a little bit more spiritual than you? They just have a little upper edge on things in you. Like when you hear them pray, you're like, if I was God, I would listen to that. Like that just sounds phenomenal, right? You hear them quote scriptures from obscure places in the Bible, and they just pull them out, and you're like, is that even a book in the Bible? Like what? You look at their family and their kids and everything just looks perfect. And you kind of have this question like, is this even for real? I mean, imagine James growing up with Jesus. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Never getting in trouble. Jesus never getting in trouble. Never having a bad thought. I mean, how do you compete with that as a brother? But then on the flip side, I think it would be super awesome because if you smack him, he's got to turn the other cheek. Hands down, you could beat up your brother all day, like, sorry, bro, turn the other cheek, let's go, let's do it again. <laughs> Round two, right? I, I mean, imagine, imagine his mom, imagine Jesus' mom, right, trying to bathe him. It's like, Jesus, you got to get in the bath, you can't walk on top of it, you got to get in the water. You can't. Come on, we got to have some fun, it's the book of James. It's about to get thick in a minute. And so, so I, I just, I want you to get this, this, this picture that James did not believe that his brother was the son of God until after the resurrection. And so James didn't grow up just like, oh, knowing you're God. James pretty much rejected that whole notion that Jesus was God. I'm sure he was intrigued by his life and the miracles and things, but there was something where James just wasn't fully convinced until after the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, we see that Jesus appears to James specifically. Now, this is really kind of special because many times after the resurrection, Jesus would appear to multitudes, to groups, but, but he appears alone to his brother James. And I wonder what that moment was, was like. Almost like you remember in Luke chapter 5 when Peter uh, caught the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus, they've been fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. And they caught all these fish. And, and Peter's looking at the miracle, and he's looking at Jesus and he falls to his knees and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I wonder if it was a moment like that. Like my whole life, I rejected you. I, 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 was, I, I opposed the notion of everything that you said. Like I did not believe. And in this moment, James is experiencing the grace of God on his life in a way that he had never experienced. I mean, the reality that, oh my God. Gosh, I've been living with the Son of God. This is, I mean, just imagine how James must have felt in that moment. James later goes on to become one of the pillars in the church of Jerusalem. And, and his death is, is even really interesting because James's death, he did not die an ordinary death. He died a martyr's death. They brought him on top of the temple, and they, they said, listen, too many people are converting to Christianity, and you guys got to stop this. And James is like, we're not going to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they threw him off the temple. He, he got mangled, but he didn't die. And as he is sitting there, mangled, battered, bruised, he begins to cry out to the Lord Jesus, his brother, that he would have mercy on these people and forgive them as they pelted him with stones and beat him with a club until he was dead. And, and th this, is, this is the James, this is the brother that says, you can have so much joy in the midst of trial. Like, you can still stand in the midst of trial. Now, think just one word, one recant. All he would have had to do is renounce 
the reality of Jesus, his faith in Christ. One word could have brought so much comfort, but James refused to do that. What, what compels somebody to that place? So James, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come of any, when troubles of any kind come your way. This is where it gets really encouraging. Uh, so if you're a first-time guest, so excited that you're here for tuning online for the first time. What James basically said is trouble is coming. Like, like it's a promise. I, I know a lot of times we, we, you know, what's kind of propagated in Christianity is if you come to Christ, then everything becomes really easy. If you come to Christ, you're never going to get sick. You're never going to go through hardship. You're, you're never going to go through trial. You're going to get rich. That is a false gospel. That is just not the Bible. And, and so, so James is saying, trouble is coming. And it's a little bit hard for us to, to wrestle with this idea, with this notion. I think past generations understood suffering a little bit better than we do today. Like, like past generations, even with, in, with people uh, across the globe, there's a better understanding of suffering. You know, it's almost expected. Like, we just get it, that life doesn't always play out fair, doesn't always, things don't always work out the way that we like it to, but we have a hard time here in the West, especially in our time now, in our generation, because we live in what's called a secular society. And the word, the word secular comes from the Latin word seculum, which, which literally means now, meaning everything has to work now. Like, my plans have to go right now. My agenda has to work now. Like, like, if you mess up anything now, I'm going to be miserable. And, and the problem with that, the problem with a now generation is everything is based on happiness, but happiness is based on circumstance. If things are going well, I feel great. If I get a raise, I feel amazing. If the boss leaves that I hate, I feel awesome, right? If I get served bed and breakfast, I'm feeling on top of the world. But the moment things don't go my way, the moment things go south, all of a sudden, I'm miserable again. Something's got to be wrong. Uh, it, it's not right. And joy is not present. But I want to encourage you, and James wants to encourage you, that joy is a little bit different than happiness because happiness you find as a result of circumstances. Joy you find despite them. And there's a lot of different ways that we have trouble. There's a lot of different ways that we suffer. Right? Sometimes it's just a, a matter of, of sin entering in, into humanity, fracturing the world. We have sickness, disease, and death. We, we, we have uh, you know, accidents. Sometimes we suffer because of our own folly and decisions. Sometimes as a church we suffer persecution, which I might add might increase over the next decade. And so I think that I think this message is going to be so timely because it's not just for now, but but it's it's also for later. I mean, it's just very clear throughout Scripture. Jesus said, or I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, "Satan wants to destroy us. The world wants to oppress us. It makes for a great life in battle." And so, so the bottom line is James is saying, I want you to know that trials are coming. Some of you guys are like, all right, Pastor Matt, a little bit of a downer today. Can you be a little bit more positive? All right, I'm positive. Trials are coming. So positive about that. But, but James wants us to know. He wants us to know that they're coming. Why? He wants us to know because if we know, then we can train for the trial. We can train. They're coming. It's, it's just a matter of time. You may be in one right now. Don't 
think of it weird, like Jesus made it very clear, and we should all take heed that I've told you this so you may have peace in me. Jesus said, but here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome this world. But Jesus said, you're going to have some trouble here. You're going to face some sorrows. Peter says it this way. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. This word strange in the Greek, it has the notion of a foreigner or a guest. And to the early church, trials, they were not guests. They were very, they were very well acquainted with trials and troubles and persecution. And so, so they shouldn't be foreign to us as followers of Jesus, but just as, as maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's okay. I'm sure you have still had your fair share of troubles too. Because that's kind of a, a common, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, a common grace, that we all are going to go through stuff. But I think the beauty of it is Jesus said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome this world. That there, there's a way, and James is going to clarify this, that there's a way that we can navigate trials, that we can train for trials in a way where they don't crush us, but they can actually produce something in us, and there can be a great joy in the midst of but, but it helps when you know. Like when Jackie and I, we decided to have a baby, we knew that once we got pregnant, nine months later, guess what? We just were expecting labor's coming. It's not if labor's coming, it's, it's when labor's coming, right? And so, so what do we do? We train for that moment. We did insanity. Um, beach body insanity. Um, Jackie was, she was just crying. I was blown away. I'm like, babe, I don't know if we're, this might be a little intense. She's like, no, we're good. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we, would, we would hike, we would walk up hills. Our neighborhood at the time had a lot of hills, so we would just trek up these hills. And I'm like, every single time, I'm not a runner or a walker. I just, I'd rather ride something. Um, and, uh, and so I just rem- remember like, man, okay, we, we're, man, we're training. Like, this is all part of the process. We, we went to the breathing stuff. We're like, oh, we're not sure if that stuff's going to work too well. Um, so we just kind of focused on the physical portion of it, Right. So that we were ready for that day. And I, I mean, going from a three to a nine, I'm like, maybe it worked a little bit. Like 45 minutes, I, it was a fast labor. You know, I, I was uh, doing this wedding in Yosemite. It was such a beautiful wedding. One of the most beautiful spots. Uh, I feel like I got to be in two of the most beautiful spots, both Tahoe at Emerald Bay and then in Yosemite, all in, within the same week. It was just gorgeous. But, but in Yosemite, there's, we were driving past this big old rock called El Capitan. And when you look at it, you're just like, man, this thing is massive. I forgot how beautiful Yosemite is. If you have not been there in a while, you just need to go and just drive through. Even if it's just for a day, it'll just stir your affections for God, creation of, of how God designed creation in some of these areas and some of these parts of the world. It just, it'll just stir your affections for him. But, but just to kind of put things in perspective, we found some guys on the wall climbing it. <clears throat> and I want you to get, this is, this is a guy hanging like off the side of a ledge. This is pretty crazy. El Capitan is, is about a little over two Empire State Buildings. I mean, the thing is just so massive and so grand. And so, you know, I'm a learner. I love to learn. So I'm like, we got to find out facts about El Capitan, right? So we go on, and, and all of a sudden it led me on this journey, which I thought was perfect for this message. It led me to this guy. His name is Alex Honald. This dude, 2017, he climbed El Capitan 
with no ropes. No rope. Let me, let me say that again. No ropes. Like a little bag of chalk and his cute little ballet slippers. That's it. All the way up the face of the biggest piece of granite on the planet. And even though granite is, is, is slippery, like this, this stuff is scary. My kids were climbing on some rocks in Yosemite. And just a small little rock. You're like, I'm not really sure about this. And so obviously he has 20 years of experience. And, and you can just get this picture. He is climbing the face of this thing. This thing is almost vertical. And the drop is sheer, you know, bye-bye. And, and so, so as, as we were, you know, as I was watching this, I mean, what is that? Like, literally, as I'm watching some of these videos and pictures, my feet are sweating. I'm like, I am not built for that, right? And some would say that this guy just had a death wish, right? That he's just an adrenaline junkie, a junkie but, but he, he's a super, like, really cool dude. He's not very braggadocious. He's very low-key. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't feel adrenaline when I'm up there. If I feel adrenaline, it means something dramatically has gone wrong. He said, no, no, it's very calculated. It's very slow and methodical. He's like, man, I, I feel, I mean, there's, there's, he's climbing El Capitan and he's just whistling. Who whistles when you're 2,000 feet off the ground with nothing holding you up? I'm like, dude, you, I got to find out more about this guy, right? And so thousands of hand positions and feet positions, thousands and obviously, he just doesn't go up and do this. He hikes it several times with ropes, and he maps out every crevice, every mark, and he just trains like crazy. And so he said, by the time I get there, I should not have to really even think. I just know. And, and you got you to gotta get this in your mind. There, there's so much training that goes behind this, but, but he's not in a gym. He's not, you know, doing anything like that. He said it's far more mental than it is physical for him. He says the physical part is it's the easy. It's having to get like over the fact that you look down and your stomach goes, oh gosh. He says, I don't feel that at all anymore. I, I just, I love the climb so much. And I thought, man, this would feel like a nightmare to me. But for him, it's a joy. He's totally comfortable. And, and I thought, look at what he holds on to. That's what he holds on to, ladies and gentlemen. This little piece underneath his thumb that you could barely see is, is about half the size of a pencil that he uses to push up to hold in position the rest of his body. On the side of a mountain over 3,000 feet high. Like, who does that? But I just thought, I just thought, how much more for the God that created El Capitan? How much more powerful just one word from God, one promise, one scripture is enough to hold us, to keep us standing with the joy, with the confidence, with the rest, with no anxious adrenaline. Like, like how in the world can this guy do this? I just thought, man, if we would just hold on to the one who spoke Everything into being. Like this is a mere man holding on to creation. What about us as followers of Jesus holding on to the creator? How much more secure, 
how much more stable, how much more at rest should we be at? You know, I started to look, I mean, this would bring me torment, it brings him joy, right? It makes me nervous, he's at total peace there. And, and really the bottom line, you may be asking, I was like, how, how does this translate? Like, 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 how would I actually find peace in the midst of the trial? How does he find this rest when it would bring me anxiety? And, and really what it comes down to is we just value different things. And what we value, it impacts our training. It impacts what we see. For, for him, the trial is just simply, it, it, it's, it's a trial for me, but for him, it's a treat. Like, he, he's just enjoying this. And so you might be asking, man, what, what is the first step to finding some joy in the midst of our troubles? Well, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I'm only going to give you one thing today, and that's that we need to evaluate or reevaluate our values. James continues, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. This word consider in the original language, it says, let your thoughts lead with this one. Let this be the leading thought in your mind. To consider it pure joy. Consider it. Now, I love James. James doesn't say, hey, enjoy your trial. I just love suffering. That's, that's, that's something else. None of us love suffering. But he also doesn't say deny it. Right? You have some people that act like everything's perfect in their life. Oh, nothing's wrong. Great. Praise God. It's, it's amazing. And they're dying and drowning. And then you have others that are, are you know, uh, you know, they just don't like to, well, I, I guess it's kind of one of the same, right? They just kind of deny the fact that there's even a trial there. Like uh, we had this uh, old youth leader. Old, when I was a youth pastor, he was an older youth leader. He was in his 60s, almost 70s. And uh, kids loved him to death. And I remember we were playing a game one time, and, and his arm got stretched out, and his bicep came off his bone and rolled up to his shoulder. And the guy never complained in his life. He was just like, praise God, I'm fine. I'm like, you are not okay. Praise God, yes, but you are not fine. We need to get you to a doctor. That is not okay. But, but listen, so, so we, we, we don't deny that we're in a trial, right? We don't necessarily enjoy the trial. But James is also saying you don't need perfect conditions for joy either. But here's the deal. is what we value, lean in, what we value will determine our evaluation of the trial. See, when I look at that big old rock that Alex looks at, we have a different value system. And so, so what brings him great joy brings me great torment because we value different things. See, what we value determines our evaluation of the storm, of the trial, of the trouble. Hurricane Sandy, when it hit, probably one of the largest ones, if not the largest ones that hit the United States, 11,000 miles um, of wind just gushing through, $68 billion in damage. As it hit New York City, New York City shut down, but there was one Starbucks left open. And there was a woman by the name of Emily that decided she was going to hike or trek through the storm 15 blocks with her two-year-old child to get her a Frappuccino. In the middle of a storm. Like, like New York City is shut down except for this one Starbucks. And so, you know, it was a big old thing. And when they asked her, they said, well, why would you do that? She was like, I was so afraid not to have my Frappuccino. <laughs> it was like, what? 
We just value different things. And that evaluation, listen, our values affect our evaluation of the trial. There were some kids in uh, Chicago. Kid had his iPhone. He was visiting. He was taking pictures of the river. Dropped it. Landed on a block of ice. He goes down into the river to get his phone. Dies. His friend goes in after him. Dies. The third one goes in and, st- and survives. I'm like, for a phone? Like, but this is, values matter. And what we value is, it's kind of the things that we pursue. Warren Wearsby said it best. He said it this way. Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, trials will upset us. If we value material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. You see, suffering only makes sense in the light of something better. Like, like as you see Alex Honnold right here, like, who, who wants to do that? Like, that is total suffering to me. I would just be like, oh, gosh. <laughs> like, somebody call the rescue, right? I mean, and he's just looking at his next move like, huh, hmm. Like a human Spider-Man. But, but suffering only makes sense in, in the light of something better. When he sees this wall, when he sees the mountain, he sees it totally differently than you and I do, right? Because values determine our evaluation, and our evaluation will determine your joy on the journey. It'll determine how you train, how you endure, what you'll even risk. Can I just tell you that it is a risk to trust God sometimes, or it feels like one in the midst of a trial. But if you value him and his word, all of a sudden it, 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 it blows away the risk factor. Are you, are, are you tracking with me on that? I think Paul breaks it down a little bit. I'm just going to keep driving this point all the way home for us today. Are you guys with me? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anybody could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul was basically saying, I'm the man. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Like, these were bragging rights in Paul's day, okay, amongst the religious people. He says, man, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one, I'm a member of the Pharisees uh, who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul said, this was my resume. This was my portfolio. But then something shifted. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. And so that's what I pursued. That's what I trusted in. That's where my identity was rooted in. That's where I found security. That's where I found confidence. And as long as those things were going well, I felt good. But he says, but now I've reconsidered. I consider them worthless of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared, what? To the infinite value. See, suffering makes sense when there's something of greater value that will cause you to endure in such a way that people may look at you like, man, you're crazy. But Paul said, listen, I used to put my trust in all of these things. But compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, now my ultimate value is knowing him. Like, that's it. You want to sum up my life? For Alex Honnold, it was climbing El Capitan. For Paul the Apostle, 
It was, I just want to know Christ. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage that I could gain Christ. Paul said, listen, I've reconsidered. I found something greater. And that value has changed my evaluation of how I see things, how I see life, how I see goals, how I see my ambitions, my eternity. And I've let it all go. Like Alex Honnold, when he steps on the mountain, he knows that death is imminent for one mistake. One mistake. But he's found something of greater value in the climb that many of us will never know. But all of, you, all of us have this opportunity to know the infinite value that Paul has found in Christ that is worth putting it all on the line. So much so that Paul even said, he said, listen, I just want to know him and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to even suffer with him. Sharing in his death. I love that Paul is always coming back to the beauty of the gospel. Paul is always coming back. I want to even share in his death. I mean, thinking about the cross, thinking about the suffering, thinking about all that he went through because he valued me. Wow, he valued me even when I was killing the church. I want to share even in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, it's a no-brainer for me. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. There was a greater value on the other side of the cross that made the suffering a no-brainer. And that value was to bring glory to his Father, to fulfill his Father's will, and that salvation for you and I was on the other side of that, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. So if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. If your ultimate value in life is God, then suffering will drive you closer to your source of joy. You might need to take a picture of that and sit on it and meditate on that for a minute. For if your ultimate value in life is God, then suffering will drive you closer to your source of joy. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Anybody ever hear, God will never give you more than you can handle? Let me read this one more time. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Does that sound like it's more than Paul can handle? Don't believe everything you hear. So that... We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had received the sentence of death. Paul's like, I thought we were dead. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What did the suffering produce? Just, to, just drove us deeper into a place of our source of joy. Deeper in, into a deeper place of dependence. If your ultimate value is God, then suffering will drive you closer to your source of joy. Francis Chan tells a story about uh, these missionaries that got captured by the Taliban. And it's one of my favorite stories because I think it packs such a great punch and paints such a great picture. Uh, many of them, they knew they were going to get executed, so they started to argue over who was going to die first, right? And one of the elders was like, well, you know, I kind of got us into this thing, so I'm going to go first. They're like, no, 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 like, we need you around, we need your wisdom. And other, they were just arguing over who was going to die first. 
And so some of them, they ended up getting executed. And then uh, uh, several of them were rescued and, and they got back home. And, and the pastor said that it was so strange. He said each one, one by one, without having talked to one another or anything like that, they, they would come to me and would say, hey, you know, pastor, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes I wish we were in that prison again because I just can't seem to get the closeness and the intimacy to God that I felt when we were in the midst of that suffering. Like, why would anybody want to go back to that? Because there's an infinite value of knowing Christ that transcends all suffering, difficulty, trial, and battle. Sometimes I think we, we, we don't wage war very good in trials is because we're trying to do it in the flesh. We're trying to, you know, just great principles are great principles. They can take off the edge, but sometimes they're not enough. It's, we got to re-look at our value system. So let me give you a couple of practical things as we, we wrap up here. Uh, today, let's evaluate our values before the trial so we can garner something in the trial. So maybe you're not in a trial right now. Let, let, now's the time to evaluate what you really value. Can I just tell you, over the next decade... as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I don't know if it's going to get easier. So I want to make sure as a church, we're not not living in fear or intimidation, but we are also living in the reality of what Paul told Timothy, that, listen, anybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And maybe you're in a trial right now, and trials can take on many forms, shapes, and sizes. So I'm careful not to lump everything into one because I know that what you're facing may be different than I understand, but God does. And I believe this heartbeat still remains, that he is to be the ultimate value of our life. If you're in the middle of a trial, let's evaluate our values in the trial so it's not too late. If you're in the thick, you're like, I'm already in the mess of it. I don't know what to do. Like, well, let's evaluate in the trial so that you can get something out of it. So it's not too late to evaluate now. So don't think like, oh my goodness, I'm not trained, I'm not ready for this. You know, Alex Honnold was uh, climbed Half Dome and he didn't even map it out. He scaled the face of Half Dome with no ropes and didn't even map it out. He said he got like halfway up and hit a ledge and he was like, oh gosh. Like he had one of those moments like, what am I doing? And then he was like, all right, let me reevaluate. Let me switch gears, scale the rest of that. First person to ever do that too pretty crazy guy so it's not too late to evaluate what you value because remember your values will determine your evaluation of the trial and you're either going to filter it through the gospel and through a biblical worldview or you're going to be left to the world and you know the now generation and and it can totally dismantle you and so let me I just got a couple questions for you number one and I think this would be a good just evaluation for us today what, what do you value more, comfort or character? That's going to impact you in the trial. Physical or spiritual? Like what matters most to you there? As a follower of Jesus, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the physical probably is so much more important to you now, and I get it. But man, God wants you to understand what it's like to, to walk with him. There's a supernatural side to life that is so much more real than even this tangible world. Is it about being right or maturity? What do you value more? Like maybe it's it's a relational trial right now and do you just need to be right or is it about maturity and God doing something inside of you? What do you value more, your circumstance or God's character? Like what are you talking more about? Has the trial got your awe? Has it captured your 
Or does God still have that place? Like, God, your character is above any circumstance. Is it eternal or temporary? Which one do you value more? Do you value God or goals more? Like, what what do you value more? Because all these values will play a huge part when you're facing a trial. And here's the real test. Oh, pastor, man, character, spiritual, maturity, character, eternal, God over goals all day long. Perfect. Hold that thought. Does your behavior reflect what you say you value? Is that what's coming out in your actions, in your, your verbiage, your language? Don't like, you got to be honest with yourself about what you really value. If you don't value these like certain things, if you value comfort more, then just be honest about it. And start to process that with Jesus. And then the last question is this is, Are your daily habits preparing you to stand? Are your daily habits training you for the trial? And I think what was so special about this guy Alex's life is that whenever he's getting ready to do a big climb, and this is just kind of how he's lived most of his life, he's like, man, I don't do much on social media. I live in my van. He finally bought a house like a year or two ago. And he's like, he just lives such a simple life. He says, I just need to be undistracted. I don't have this big meditative process before I get up on the mountain. No, I just need space to to breathe. I need space to process and think and journal as I'm calculating steps. And I thought, man, so many of us try to get distracted when we're in a trial because we don't want to deal with it when really what we need is to get undistracted so we can get alone with God and process and work through the scriptures and, and understand each little grip on this promise and on God's character here and just so that so we actually have space for God to work in our life I wonder what would happen if we decluttered our life in such a way even in the trial and just got alone with the one who created all of this like how would that change and we start to focus on what matters most letting all go for the one ultimate value of knowing him then I would propose this Alex did something that nobody thought possible Every climber shakes in their boots when they think about what he did. They never even thought it was to be possible. And I just wonder that no matter what we face, if we will get alone with the God of all creation and make our number one value to know him like Paul did, that, man, when we suffer, we're not going to enjoy it. We're not going to deny it. But we don't need perfect circumstances because we can reconsider that God is alive, that God is at work, and he can cause you and I to go through our trials with joy in a way that nobody thought possible. That's the reality. And that's where James is just kind of lands us today. Two verses today, you guys. We're going to be in the book of James for a while. Consider it pure joy. Reconsider. Trials are coming. Train for the trial. And let's make sure that we're reevaluating, evaluating our values. Because that's going to determine our evaluation. On either, oh, it's going to destroy me. Or God, you're birthing something. You're refining something. You're maturing something. And my ultimate value is you anyways. So let this just push me to the very one that raises the dead. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for being with us in the midst of battle. You didn't leave us hanging. You didn't just say, hey, you're going to have trouble. Good luck. You said, be of good cheer because I've overcome this world. Listen, if you're here today and maybe you're in a battle, maybe the biggest battle of your life right now is just not being in a relationship with God. And you're like, man, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender. I need to go all in today because I don't know if my, 
I don't know if my behavior really reflects what I say I believe. You're like, man, I just need to go all in with Jesus today. Whether you're online or you're in person, if you're here and you say, Pastor Matt, I need to go all in today. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Just a fresh commitment to Christ. Would you just slip up your hand just so I can see you? Every head bow. If there's anybody here that will say, that, yep, I see your hand. Yep. And I can't see you online, but online you can just go ahead and click that little button. I'm giving my life to Christ. Church, would you pray this with me? Lord, I surrender. I give my life to you. I surrender. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for valuing me and honoring the Father, valuing the Father, that you endured the cross so that I might be forgiven and free. I surrender today. I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord. Forgive me for all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to see things in a new light. I don't want a mind of the flesh, but I want to walk in the spirit that I might consider it pure joy when facing trials. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.